And now we're going to hear a message from Pastor Rex. He's not here with us tonight, but he recorded his message in advance. It's called Hope. So if you turn your uh, attention now to the middle screen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Grace Today. I pray that you've been warmly welcomed, that you've had some wonderful time to worship. And uh, as we look into God's word now, I know that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us as we seek to learn the word that God has for us today. Back toward the end of World War II, a Scottish chaplain and a Professor McDonnell from Glasgow were both captured behind enemy lines and both put in a prisoner of war camp. Now, for some reason, the Nazi prison guards had divided that camp into two sections. In one section, they put the British, in the other, the Americans. Now, Professor McDonald was put in with the Americans, actually, and, and the Scottish chaplain with the British. And there was, a, there was a wire fence between the two camps. And so each day... Uh, Professor McDonald and the Scottish chaplain would meet at the fence and exchange information. What the Nazis did not know is that on the American side, the Americans had this little makeshift radio where they were getting information on a daily basis from outside the camp, information about what was happening with the war. And that precious information was more valuable to them even than food at that time. And so McDonald would go as he and the chaplain met at the fence and he would share whatever the latest information was. But one day they learned that the Nazi high command had surrendered and the war was essentially over. And McDonald couldn't wait to share this news with his friend. And when he did, he watched as the chaplain went into the British barracks and then in just a few moments, there was an eruption of celebration. And from that moment on, life was different in the prison camp. Oh, they were still there. There were still these Nazi guards all around. But the men actually would sing and shout. They would smile at the guards and actually laugh at the vicious guard dogs. And when the Nazis finally heard the news three days later, they disappeared into the darkness, leaving the gates unlocked. And the next morning, the British and the American prisoners of war walked out as free men. But you know what? The truth is they had really been set free three days earlier when they got the news that the war was over. Now we come to a very interesting passage today in Luke's gospel where we're reminded that the kingdom of God is not only in us, it is among us. The message here is that Christ has already won the battle against sin and death and hell and the grave. The war is already over, victory is won, but make no mistake, there's still a whole lot of fighting going on. 
and we will not realize the full benefits of that victory until one day in the future when Jesus returns. And we know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess, but until then, we still, as it were, are in this prison camp called the world. And it is broken and sinful. But the knowledge of his victory fills our hearts every day with joy and with hope. Let me ask you a personal question. Would you say that you're a person of hope? What is your hope based on? What is the reason for the hope that you have? That word hope is used 85 times in the New Testament alone. It is the foundation, one of the foundation stones of our beliefs. The Bible says that we are saved in this hope. God is the God of hope. Hebrews 6.19 says this hope we have as an anchor of our souls. No wonder the psalmist wrote, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And according to the Bible, our hope is primarily to be fixed on an event out there in the future. That event is the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter writes that, the apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we should fix our hope completely on that, on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul, the apostle, calls it in Titus chapter 2, our blessed hope. And that's what today's message is all about. So I want us to walk through this passage verse by verse and pretty much let it speak for itself. But as we do, let's pray that God would stoke our faith and keep our hope fixed on him. So let's jump right in. Luke chapter 17 and I'm going to start in verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, it's a pretty well-known fact that not only the Pharisees, but most of the Jewish people were expecting a political Messiah. This Messiah would be like a second Moses, just as the first Moses had helped deliver them from Egyptian bondage. So, when Messiah came, he would be like a second Moses, who would deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. But here Jesus is challenging that. He says, look, it's not a physical kingdom. It's not going to be visible with armies and weapons and thrones. The kingdom of God is within you. It begins in your heart. It begins with a new birth. There's this change inside. And so you are focusing on physical power. You need to give your attention first to this inner transformation. Now, many uh, Christians I know these days are 
fixated on the end of the world. And I mean, they're really enamored with it. Books about the end of the world are always among the best-selling books when it comes to Christian books. And people just get into that, and they get so curious and intrigued by it. And we certainly need to know what we believe about that. We need to know what scriptures we need to look at, uh, how we interpret those scriptures, what we believe, and, and be able to explain it. But we need to also remember that there's a whole lot of living to do right now. Jesus has called us to represent him well and live in such a way that we're making a difference in our world, whether his coming is 50 more years or five more minutes. And the basic message that he gives us is, look, be ready. So I think he's saying here, keep your perspective. The kingdom of God is right now. There's a whole lot I'm doing right now, and it's going on. And you cannot live fully in this moment if you're so enamored about tank movements in the Middle East. But as we read on here, I want you to see next that Jesus warns us not to be deceived by false predictions. Verse 22, then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is, do not go running off after them. And you know what? If you study the last 2,000 years very carefully, you'll see that this has come true over and over and over again. There have been all kinds of leaders rise up and say, hey, Jesus appeared to me. There have been all kinds of predictions and dates set literally to the point that some people quit their jobs, sell their property, put on white robes, go on top of a mountain somewhere or a hill, and literally wait for Jesus to come. In your Bible, the book of 2 Thessalonians was literally written to combat a false rumor that Jesus had already come back. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes there. He says, now we request you, brethren, we request you that with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one in any way deceive you, Paul writes. And yet there are all kinds of deceptions going on. Remember Edgar Wisnott back in 1988? He wrote a little booklet, got a lot of attention. 88 reasons why the rapture will occur in 1988. And sure enough, a lot of people bought into that teaching. And some actually sold properties and said, this is it. This is the end of the world. And he predicted that it would happen on September 10, 11, or 12 of 1988. And then about nine years later, you remember Marshall Applewaite? Does that name strike a bell? He was a false prophet who came along in March of 1997 and persuaded 39 members of his Heaven's Gate cult 
to put their hope in his teaching. Now, that year, Halley's Comet was appearing. And Applewhite taught, look, there's a spaceship right behind the comet. And if you will just take your own life, if you'll just commit suicide, the Lord is going to come and take us all to be with him. And sadly, many followed him to death. You say, well, Pastor Rex, how can people fall for that kind of stuff? It amazes me how gullible, how naive people can be, folks. It's astounding to me how naive some people can be when somebody just quotes a few Bible verses out of context and makes some sensational claims. In today's passage, it's like a wake-up call. Jesus is saying, look, don't be duped by that stuff. I'm coming back one day, and when I do, everybody's going to know it. It's not going to be done in a corner or in private. Verse 24 reads, For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Here's the deal. The first time Jesus came, he kind of sneaked in rather obscurely in Bethlehem. Born there in that stable, placed in a manger. But when he comes again, every eye, Bible says, is going to see him. Listen to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Amen. So listen, listen today, dear Jesus follower, I urge you today, I urge you, no matter how sour, no matter how ominous, no matter how discouraging world events may be looking, do not let it discourage you. Why? Because your trust is in the one who cannot lie. And he said, I am coming back. I am going to receive you to myself that where you are, that where I am, there you may be also. That is your blessed hope. That, according to the apostle Peter, is the thing that you should fix your hope completely on. Not in some human false prophet who's setting dates. We read on in verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. So Jesus said, look, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Well, the obvious question is, what was it like in the days of Noah? Well, if you go back in the book of Genesis and read about that, like in Genesis chapter 6, you'll see that, among other things, the family unit was being undermined and devalued. And evil dominated in the world. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Another thing you see as you read that chapter is that there was unprecedented violence 
verse 11 says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Now think about that. When you compare Noah's day that we just read to our day, aren't the similarities pretty striking? We live in a time of violence threatening our schools. The family is undermined, I believe, in ways that are unprecedented. And the thoughts of so many are filled with perversion almost every hour of every day. So in a culture like that, God came to Noah and said, look, Noah, I am going to judge this world. I'm going to bring judgment on this wicked society. And Noah spent years warning people. Oh, he preached and preached. He told them about it, but they scoffed at him and kept right on doing their own thing. And when the text says here that they kept on eating and drinking and having weddings, the point of that is that life just went on like normal. It's not that there's any problem with those things per se. It's that that's depicting normal life. In other words, people thumb their nose at the warnings about impending judgment. But Noah and his family were filled with hope. They knew that even through the darkest of days, God was going to make a way for them. And dear Christian, I want you to capture that hope today. That's the message God has for you and me. No matter how dark the days may seem, no matter how it may seem that evil is encroaching, listen, you keep your hope fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ where he will come again and bring you to himself. Verse 28 says, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Now again, let's ask, what was it like in the days of Lot? Well, again, when you go back in the Old Testament, when you read it, You see that it was characterized by pride and greed and selfishness. That culture was also marked by intense sexual immorality. And so God brought judgment on those cities. And when you go back and read that, it's a very sobering story. Now, please understand, the people of Sodom were not destroyed because of their sin, excessive as it was. They were destroyed because they scoffed at God's warning. They mocked spiritual truth. I urge you to go read it for yourself. As Lot brought the truth with grace, as he preached the truth and gave the warnings, the people thought he had lost his senses. And they went right on with their lives as normal And catastrophe fell suddenly. By the way, archaeologists have gone back and discovered the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And guess what? Just as is always the case, archaeology always confirms the claims of Scripture. And they found that these cities are covered with an entire layer of ash. And as they probe more deeply and study the details, it seems that this 
fire and sulfur. They found little balls, little concentrated masses of sulfur. And the belief is that they, the fire started on the rooftops of the houses as though it had been rained down from heaven. You remember back the first week of June, just, just a couple of months ago, when there was on the news every day was these massive volcanic eruptions in Guatemala. Remember that? And, and hundreds of people were dying, and it was catastrophic as this fire and ash fell from heaven. And as people were displaced, and they would give in their testimonies in the first week of June that it was like fire raining down from heaven. Well, some people believe this may have been a massive volcanic eruption just like a couple of months ago in Guatemala. It could be. I, I tend to believe that this was just a supernatural thing that God brought as fire, sulfur rained down from heaven on a people who thumbed their nose at God. Now, I, I don't need to tell you that it's the same today, right? I mean, you live in the real world, don't you? Now, do, any, do any of you live in a cave or kind of totally out of touch with reality? You know, you know that many people in this world scoff at the Bible, scoff at its truth claims, and ridicule and demean Christian beliefs and values. But our hope remains constant regardless of what's happening in the world. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul. Please remember that. Pastor Bob Russell tells about a seasick passenger who was leaning over the railing on a ship just feeding the fish. I mean, he was throwing up from seasickness, just turning all kinds of colors of green. And one of the ship's stewards came by to try to encourage him and said, Sir, just remember this, no one has ever died of seasickness. And the man quipped, don't tell me that. It's only the hope of dying that's keeping me alive right now. And as we look at this world and where things are going, it can almost be nauseating, honestly. But it's the hope of being with Jesus Christ one day that keeps us alive, that keeps us encouraged, that keeps us fired up and filled with faith. And as we read on here, since we don't know when Christ will return, the big challenge in these verses is stay prepared. In fact, I, I guess if there was just a message, I would want you to walk out ringing in your ears. It's stay prepared. Live every day ready. Whether it's the first day of 50 more years or whether it's the very last day you'll live on this planet, stay ready. Stay ready for his return. Verse 30, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Now, let me just pause there. People in that, that sounds strange to us. Why would you be on the roof of your house? That was often where people kind of sat around and lounged around. That's where conversations went on many times in this culture. The roofs often were more flat than ours are. So it was a, actually a comfortable place to be. It was a common thing for people to kind of hang out on the roof. And that's still true in many cultures uh, today. 
Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. In other words, if you're out there working, whether it's you're at, at your corporate office, if you're a farmer out in the field, whatever you're doing, a student in the classroom, the point of this is it's going to be sudden. You got to be ready. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now, what in the world does that mean? Again, it's saying be ready. When he comes back, you're either ready or not, but it's too late to get ready once he returns. What does it mean when it says, remember Lot's wife? Well, if you go back and read the Old Testament, you'll see that as Lot and his wife and their two daughters fled the city of Sodom, Lot's wife lingered back and turned to a pillar of salt, the Bible says. One little boy in Sunday school quipped, well, that's nothing. My mother was driving the other day, and she looked back and turned into a telephone pole. (laughs) We don't know why she looked back. We don't know why she lingered. Maybe she had family members. She was concerned. Maybe she was just enthralled with Sodom. We don't know. Maybe this was all breaking her heart, but she lingered behind and got caught in the falling ash and sulfur. What a powerful illustration, that is, of the absolute intensity we need in being ready for when Christ returns. Verse 33, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken, and the other left. Let me ask you a question. If you're a married person here today, if you're married, is your spouse a believer? Are you a believer? Are you saved? This is sobering, friends. This says that there will be some married couples where one is saved and one is not. And so one will be taken and the other will be left behind. It goes on. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. In other words, you'll have co-workers, people working together and friends who are hanging out together and one will be truly saved and ready for his return and the other will be lost and left behind. I want to say this to you with the greatest intensity and sincerity. It is not enough to be close to people who are saved. It's not enough to be in a family where you have some members who are really followers of Jesus. That's not going to do it for you. Having a relationship with Christ is a personal thing. It's something you must do yourself. And so, sir, I say to you with all the love in my heart, it's not enough that your wife is saved. You've got to be saved, sir. Ma'am, I say to you with all the love I have, listen, it's not enough that your husband is saved. You've got to be saved too. Or you will be left behind. You're either ready or you're not. The Apostle Peter writes about these very same events that Jesus is telling us about. And listen to what he says in his second letter. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the 
elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Wow. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, some of you by this point are going, Pastor Rex, I thought this was a message about hope. This is depressing me, brother. Hey, listen. I want to tell you, it is sobering to realize what's going to happen, some of the things that are going to occur in and around the time Jesus returns. But make no mistake, Jesus' second coming is our blessed hope. And just as Noah escaped through the ark, and just as Lot escaped the destruction of Sodom, so the Christian will be preserved through whatever chaos follows. And if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to know this is truly a message of hope in spite of all the chaos surrounding it because you will be delivered and you will ultimately dance on the streets of gold forever. Do you understand now why Peter says, let me share it once more. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, therefore gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Here it is. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's the final word as we wrap up today? I would say to you, this is no time for casual Christianity. We live in a day where Jesus has said to us, look, you be ready at any moment it could occur. I want you to live that way every day making a difference, penetrating this culture for me, representing me well. As the Oxford scholar C.S. Lewis put it so profoundly, those who are Christians in this world are simply like commandos who are living behind enemy lines, conducting guerrilla warfare, preparing the way for the commander-in-chief. And even though we still live, as it were, in the prison camp of this world, I want you to know we can laugh and shout and celebrate because the victory has already been won. We're simply in waiting mode right now. That's right. But as we wait, we wait with our hearts filled with hope. So here's the bottom line. One day Jesus is coming back, make no mistake. Is he going to come back as your blessed hope or your holy terror? If you're saved, if you belong to him, he is your blessed hope. But if you have rejected and scoffed at him, he will come back as a conquering lion. I urge you, I plead with you, open your life to Jesus Christ today. I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and prepare to receive our tithes and offerings. Uh, but as they're doing that, would you please join me in a word of prayer? <laughs> 